My name's Gary Hessel. I work for a local office supply dealer. I'm Brenda Hessel, and I'm a semi-retired dental hygienist, but more importantly, a mom and a Mimi of nine. We both grew up in the same denomination. However, when I was a teenager in high school, I heard the gospel and the good news of Jesus up for the first time. That meant something to me that was very personal. However, in those years after, I didn't really make a change. But through all that time, I just still had a hunger for something that I really didn't know what it was. I would say that uh, I knew nothing about a relationship with Jesus. I felt like I had to be good, but I didn't know if I was going to be good enough. I was searching for something more. When Brenda started going to Trader's Point, I was against it. It wasn't for me. I felt like if I went, I was turning my back on my religious heritage that I grew up with. When I walked in, it pretty much blew me away because it was exactly what I didn't expect. Started hearing some of the truth that I never heard before in the application. I really literally was sitting on the edge of my seat. I, it was like I was hearing things for the first time and the Bible became alive. When you know what the truth is then, you start looking at the world through that lens whether it's my time, my children, my work, my service, my ministry, it all is now, it has a new purpose. And that purpose is to bring glory to the Lord. I felt like I needed to get involved with something bigger than just myself. I wanted to serve and give back to other people just because God served me. I started to want to give financially. It was hard and always is hard because there's always something else you can find a way to spend money on. But prior to that, it was mine. I started to understand this is God's money, God owns it all, um, and that I needed to be give back because God has given so much to me. My purpose wasn't about me anymore. Jesus really became the most important part of my life, and so that changed everything. I think when I look back on 35 plus years that we've been a part of this church, I fall on my purpose as Matthew 28, when Jesus tells the disciples, go and tell, and I will be with you always. So it's not just up to us. He's just asking us to go and tell. At Trader's Point, we go and tell all through our city and through the world. And that's what's so exciting to me is that we're doing it. We may be doing it differently than we did 35 years ago when we first walked through the doors, but we're still teaching the truth of who God is, what He did for us, and how much He loves each and every person. I get excited now that I'm one of those old people um, <laughs> that we saw when we first started. And I see these little kids running in church every Sunday. It's so excited to be here and knowing that these little kids are gonna be shared the truth and gonna be loved and they're gonna know Jesus. I think a challenge right now for us is our age because we're heading towards retirement years. And sometimes there's this mentality, oh, we've done it all. We get to kick back and, and relax and we don't have to do much more. We just get to watch and enjoy. I think we both feel uh, excited 
to find out what great adventure God's going to put us on now, rather than the tendency of saying, well, you know, we've done, we've given financially, we've served all these things, uh, so we're just going to sit back and, and take it easy now. I'm more excited about finding out what God has in store for us. I don't know what that is, but we want to be really involved in the kingdom. We will not retire from kingdom work. We just want to continue on this journey and give what we can, time, treasure, talent, whatever it is, to pour into the next generation and those people that haven't walked through the doors. Why we do whatever we do, is because Jesus loved us so much. And we want other people to know that too. Man, give it up for Brenda and Gary. Wasn't that so good? That's so good. Uh, Brenda and Gary are two of my favorite people on the planet, so to be able to hear their story is so encouraging to me. And I love what Gary said there towards the end. I don't want you to miss it. He said, uh, we will never retire from kingdom work. Man, that is so, so good. And so I just wanna encourage you with that and uh, welcome you, whether you're joining us in one of our locations or online. If you've got your Awaken Guide, go ahead and grab it and uh, find page 62. That's where we're gonna be together today. And if you don't have one of these, you can stop by and get one at the hub on your way out. For our online family, you can go to vision.tpcc.org and you can download this electronically. And if you've never had a chance to look through this, like if today's your first day to be here, later today when you look through this, what you'll find is just details about our vision initiative, group content, a place to take notes, and then this commitment card. And every week of the series, I've just been asking you to put this in a prominent place where you'll see it every day. Maybe this is where you drink your coffee in the morning, where you do your reading, you're reflecting during the day. And this isn't one of these cards that you like look at once and then kind of check the box and be done. This is something that I really want you to allow God to just sort of wrestle with you about. That's what, how Lindsay and I wanna use this. Here's how I would say it. Use it as a devotional guide and couple it with this question. God, what does it look like for us to be awakened in this season? What does it look like for us to take a courageous step of faith and be bold? God, what does it look like for us to put you first and best? And uh, there's a date that I want you to circle on your calendars. I hope you can be here, Saturday, November the 4th, something we're called Advanced Commitment Night. And this is gonna be at the Northwest Campus, but it's for everybody, whoever calls Traders Point home. So at all of our locations, I'm even hoping that maybe there's some people online that'll get in the car or get on a plane and be here for that weekend for Advanced Commitment Night. It's gonna be a time where we're gonna pray, we're gonna worship, we're gonna celebrate, and we're gonna to commit together. And uh, I just think that it's gonna be a special uh, evening and an historic one in the life of our church. And when I say historic, I mean, I'm just imagining that images from that night are gonna make their way to a history wall one day in the life of our church. And I don't want you uh, to miss it. Uh, if you got a Bible, go ahead and find Matthew chapter six. Uh, Matthew chapter six is where we're gonna be today. We're gonna study several passages together. Uh, that is, they are uh, direct quotes from Jesus himself. It's, it's so, so rich. But as you're finding that passage, uh, if you've been in our church for any number of years, you've likely heard me tell this story before because it's one of my favorites. Uh, but there's a number of you that haven't heard it before. But even if you have heard it before, it's good for another laugh, all right? Uh, several years ago, I was standing in my office looking out uh, my window. And by the way, I have this really glamorous view of our parking lot in a cornfield, 
All right, it's just, it's amazing. You should see it. And so I'm standing there at the window. It's between meetings. I'm just kind of doing some thinking and reflecting. And I see my wife, it's middle of the day. She's walking out of the front doors of the church towards the truck. It's not uncommon for her to be here, but I wasn't expecting her to be here. I didn't know she was here. And so she's walking away from me and she, as she normally does, she looked good. And so I picked up my phone and I said, hey, babe, um, looking at you right now. You look amazing today. And, uh, you know, sent a little kissing emoji or whatever and uh, sent that off to her. And she texted me right back and she said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm at home right now. <laughs> Who are you looking at? <laughs> you ever had one of those moments where just time slows way down, right? It's like, and here was like the dilemma. Like my heart starts beating out of my chest. Like my adrenaline's flowing. Like, do I go back to the window and look again? No, no, I can't do that, you know? And so like, I'm kind of stuck in this moment. And, and then uh, it seemed like an eternity, but in reality, it was probably just a few seconds. She texted me back one word, Gotcha. And that's like, and what makes that story even better is if you know my wife, like personally, like it's, and I was in that moment, like uh, I was, you know, uh, all my senses came to life. Like I was full, like adrenaline pumping. That's what we're talking about in this series. What does it look like for us to, to do that spiritually? And uh, we've just been sort of kind of getting real curious together as a, as a church family. Like, you know, uh, are we asleep spiritually speaking? Are we awakened to the voice of God, the things that he wants to say to us and the things that he wants to do to us? And we're just kind of recognizing that uh, the older that you get, the more you realize how quickly time flies. Isn't that true? And just how precious the moments are in front of us. And we've just been looking at these words from Jesus every single week from John 10, where Jesus said, and by the way, if you've ever wondered what God's intentions are for your life, listen to the voice of Jesus because Jesus is God embodied. And so when Jesus says this, this is God's intentions for you. He says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. There's this idea of like this fulfilled kind of a life. It's like, I'm not gonna leave anything on the table. I'm just gonna wring out every last ounce of potential that I've got in this life. I'm gonna be fully awakened presently in the moment. I'm not gonna let the past rob me. I'm not gonna let the future rob me. I'm gonna be awakened right in the moment. And I'm just trying to really hone in on that. Uh, even in my own life. Like, so we, we just got back from fall break a couple days ago and, and uh, we've been taking our kids ever since they were little to this place in Southwest Missouri called Branson, Missouri. And Big Cedar Lodge is there, Table Rock Lake, Silver Dollar City. We've just done all that stuff since they were little. And it's kind of like a family tradition now. And our kids love it. They look forward to it, but they're getting a little bit older. And we're kind of like realizing it. So like our kids are 21, 19, 16, and 11. And so, man, I can remember like going to Silver Dollar City with them and they're just little kids, you know, and now they're getting older and it's just hitting me. Like how many more of these do I got left with them, you know? And so this last year I was like, you know what? I wanna be fully present, fully in the moment. And we went to Silver Dollar City. Now, here's the thing about, my, here's my thing with amusement parks is I'm not against them. Like I'm just not really for them. Like I, it, it's, it's not that I don't love having fun at amusement parks. It's just, I don't like taking out a second mortgage on the house to stand in line, right? It's just like, I'm paying somebody to stand in line. That's how I kind of look at it. And so I usually by like four or five o'clock, like I'm done, like I'm tapping out, I'm ready to go. My family usually knows that. This year, my kids came up to me. They, they sent my 11 year old to ask the tough stuff, you know, because they, they know that I can't, you know, say no to her. And so they come up like, hey, you know, we really want to stay till closing. Like we really want to stay till after dark and ride some roller coasters after dark. Now, normally I'd be like, nope, we're out. Uh, but this year I was like, you know what? No, I don't know how many of these I got left with them. I'm just going to live right in the moment. And so I get on a roller coaster with my, uh, two of my youngest daughters and we caught this image. I had to, I had to take, I'd buy a picture of it. 
Uh, those are my two daughters down below. Uh, the poor kid in that red sweatshirt, he has no idea. Thousands of people are looking at him right now. I'm, <laughs> feel sorry for him. But, but uh, what you need to understand is that I am so tired in this moment. Like I'm, like, I'm like ready to go to bed, but I'm like, you know what? I am going to lean in. Like I'm not gonna miss this moment with my kids because I wanna wring every last ounce of it. This, this is what Jesus is saying to us in John chapter 10. He's like, man, don't miss the moment. Don't miss the moment. Man, if the church would just wake up, like if you would just wake up. And I don't think it's any accident. I'm hearing from so many of you that are saying things like this to me. You're saying, I had no idea how much I needed this series until we got into it. Like I had no idea that I was actually asleep spiritually. I had no idea that I was kind of in this slumber and God is beginning to wake me up. And right now we can look at, this seems to be colliding with just the reality that we come to recognize just how broken and messed up our world really is. It doesn't take much to be reminded of that. You can be reminded of that every day, 24 seven. And you just like open up your phone, you turn on the apps, you look at the news channels, you know, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whatever temple you worship at, all right? And we just kind of, well, that just went over everybody's head. All right, so, so, so you just kind of like, you're kind of watching this, you're kind of honing in on it. And, and here's what can happen. We look at, you know, the war going on in Ukraine and Israel and we see the economy and we see injustice and we see social issues and we see all this stuff just spinning out of control and people on the extremes of every issue. Nobody seems can be able to find common ground. And we look at this and here's what happens. Fear and anger bubble to the surface. And we're like so fearful and so angry. And we tell people about it on social media. And fear and anger are natural emotions. They're just not always the most helpful. What's underneath fear and anger is grief. And here's what's grieving all of us, regardless of what you believe, regardless if you'd be a Christian or not a Christian, regardless if you'd be left-leaning or right-leaning. Um, here, here's what we're grieving. This world is broken and not as it should be, and all of us know it. And we look at it and we're like, have you ever just kind of found yourself going, man, who in the world is gonna fix this? And I think God kind of looks at us and goes, <clears throat> hey man, look, if the spirit of God is living within you, look in the mirror. He's going, you're my plan A. Like, I want you to awaken to what it, this moment that, that the world is broken. So we gotta understand this. When God sent his son 2,000 years ago to live the life you and I can never live, die the death we deserve to die, and he went into a grave and he walked out of a grave, that wasn't a cool trick. That wasn't God going out, ta-da! Now you can be forgiven of your sins and one day you get zapped out of here and go to heaven when you die. That would be reducing the gospel message. When Jesus walked out of a grave, here's what was happening. He was declaring that he is king and now his kingdom is coming. And so what he says to you and to me, if the spirit of God is living in you, you are saved from something for something. And we oftentimes forget that four part. We fall asleep to it. And God says, listen, I want you to live as ambassadors in a foreign nation. This world is not your home, but the kingdom of God that is coming to God is gonna redeem and restore this fallen world and put things to right that has gone wrong. And so what the world needs to see is they need to see that in us. So the way we live our lives, the way we handle our resources, uh, our disposition, uh, uh, when it comes to like things like fear and anger, how we handle all that, that here, here's what the, what does the world see in you? Does the world see a spirit of fear and anger or does the world see your king and his kingdom coming? And does it then create an appetite for that kingdom? It's kind of like this, like if you've never been to Italy, but you spend time with maybe a group of Italians and you just see how joyful they are and their culture and the language and the food, all the food is so good. 
And then you go, oh man, I really wanna go to Italy. Uh, Same kind of thing. That when the world gets around Christians and they see our language and they hear how we talk and our disposition, do they say, oh man, I really am interested in the kingdom of God or does it turn them away? Guys, this is why uh, Christians who get wrapped up in fear and anger is such a travesty to the kingdom of God. This is why Christians that just blend into the values of the rest of the world is such a travesty to the kingdom of God. This is why Christians who fail to walk the talk, hypocrisy, is such a travesty to the kingdom of God because we're not representing our king and his kingdom very well. So this is what we've been talking about when it comes to awaken and our passage, our anchor passage is Ephesians 5. Let me read it for us one more time because this is where the vision comes from, uh, our, uh, the awakened vision. Uh, Paul writes and he says, when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, that word therefore is an application word. It says awake. So if you wanna know where we got this word awaken, that's it. This passage, Ephesians 5, O sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So look carefully then how you walk. Some translations say, be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. You gotta be fully awakened and present in the moment. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So on week one, just to recap with you, we said that the way for us to be awakened is we've gotta first recognize we're asleep. Last week, if you were here, we said, okay, so the, the, the way to wake up is to walk by faith. Is to take, now instead of waiting and making sure like this sort of false sense of control to make sure that everything's gonna be okay and then I step out, that's not faith. But actually go, you know what, God, I'm gonna relinquish control. I'm gonna trust that you're sovereign and that you're a good God and that you've made promises. And so I'm gonna actually step out in faith and I'm not gonna give you some of my leftovers. I'm gonna give you first and best. That was last week. This week, here's where we're going if you're taking notes, is that, the, that when we are awakened, here's the result. The result is that we've got a new set of lens, lenses by which we view all of life. Like we've got a brand new perspective on everything once we've been awakened. And this is what Jesus is driving at in Matthew chapter six. I hope I've given you enough time to find it. Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 21, Jesus says these actually very familiar words. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say that's not the first time you've heard that verse. Like if you've been in our church for any number of time, uh, any length of time, you've heard me say it. Uh, but maybe not, it's not even in our church. And maybe you don't, you're, not, you're relatively new to Bible study. You've likely heard that verse or read it on a coffee cup or a bumper sticker or something. Now, uh, here's, uh, the, here's the, um, the challenge when it comes to familiar verses. And I'm actually speaking from experience here. Um, we stop listening to them. Oh, we hear them but we stop listening. It almost becomes like white noise. Uh, we, it becomes like a box that we check. We're like, oh yeah, I've heard that verse. I know that verse. I've, I've heard sermons on that verse. I've led a small group Bible study on that verse. It always cracks me up whenever I run into somebody out in the lobby or whatever. Hey, what are you preaching on today? John three sixteen. Oh, I know that. You just kind of discard it. Like it's kind of like, oh yeah, check the box. Uh, we kind of discard what scripture says of itself, that it's living and active, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword meaning that God actually, uh, the spirit of God is breathing through the text, actually applying it in fresh ways in your spiritual journey. Man, don't, don't ever write off a familiar passage. And as we look at the passage, um, if we were to read it with fresh eyes, 
you know, kind of pretending like we'd never heard it before. Uh, it almost kind of reads a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? Like it doesn't, like you almost have to like do a double take. Like whenever Jesus says this, you're like, wait a second, did he say that wrong? Because like I would almost think that Jesus would say where your heart is, that's the idea of like where your interests lie, where your passions are, where your concerns are, then that's where your treasure will be also. That kind of seems to make more sense. Uh, but actually the Greek words show that this is an evaluative statement and that Jesus means what he says here. In fact, this is another way you could say what Jesus says, is you could say this, you know, find out where your treasure is and you'll likely find your heart. Or maybe say it this way, wherever you'd like for your treasure to be, go ahead and send your heart there. It is as if the way Jesus says this, as if your treasure and your heart are connected with a thin fishing line wire from a distance can't detect it. Up close, you could see it. And wherever your treasure goes, your heart follows behind it. Now, look back at the verse just before this, because what Jesus says offers a little bit of context. He says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves. Lay up there is this idea of saving or storing. So he goes, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. If you were here on week one and I gave that illustration of the dot and the line, that would be the dot. So Jesus would say, hey, don't store up for yourselves treasures just for the dot where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Man, that's just a good reminder that our stuff is just stuff. You ever like gone into like a garage or a basement or attic, wherever you keep your stuff and you open up like a storage bin and you start rifling through it and you come across that old Palm Pilot you know, you come across that, you know, flip phone, doesn't even turn on anymore. You're like, you, 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 it takes you back. Like, you remember like when you had to save up for that thing or when you brought that thing home in the box and it was like so cutting edge and so amazing and now the thing doesn't even turn on. This is completely obsolete. All of us have likely, you know, had somebody break in and steal uh, something. We've had something stolen from us. Man, our stuff is just our stuff. This is what Jesus is saying. He can't take it with you. It's like why you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse at a funeral. And then he goes on and he says this in, in verse 19, but what you can do is lay up, you can store or save for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven, that, that's the line. That, that's the kingdom of God where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is another way of saying that if you're a Christian and you're having a hard time living kind of a kingdom-minded life, you gotta ask yourself, well, where am I investing my treasure? Where, where, where am I laying up for myself treasure? Did you know that there are more scriptures in the um, there are more scriptures that caution you and me about oversaving than scriptures that encourage us to save. Now, there are scriptures that encourage us to save. Mostly they're found in Proverbs, where it just says a wise person will leave an inheritance for their children's children, which means you've got to budget and save and invest wisely for the future. But there are more passages that warn us of oversaving and overaccumulating. So passages like 1 Timothy 6, Luke chapter 12, and Matthew chapter 6, our passage today. Now, the automatic question then we have is like, well, okay, well, uh, how much is too much? You know, how, how do we know we're laying up too much treasure 
uh, here on earth. Let me give you an equation and a question, right? So if you're taking notes, here's the equation. Um, 10, 10, 80. So the scriptures say like when we have resources that in faith, where we start, not where we end up, where we start is to just return 10 back to God. And then we uh, roughly save about 10% for the future and for emergencies. And then we live on, we're blessed by, we're generous with the 80, the 80. So, so 10, 10, 80, that, that is a good rule of thumb. Like if you're just now starting off in life, you're just trying to figure out a budget, 10, 10, 80. If you're kind of midway through life, you've kind of gotten off the rails a little bit, come back to that principle, 10, 10, 80. Now here's, here's the question. Ha, have you ever looked around, regardless of how much you have or make, have you ever looked around and go, where did all this stuff come from? And it usually happens when? Every time you move. Like you're like, man, like I moved into this apartment two years ago and it only took 10 cardboard boxes. Now I gotta get 20 cardboard boxes to pack up all this stuff and move out of here. Where did we get all this stuff? Because it's just by nature, we just begin to just accumulate stuff. And I don't even think we do it intentionally. It just has a tendency of happening. And I did a little research this past week and uh, our, uh, this, all of this is just confirming this observation. And I think we all know this. It's like, honestly, like we just, most of us like own too much stuff and it's robbing us of, of life. Here are a few surprising statistics about clutter that help us understand how big of a problem accumulation has become. Real quickly, I'll just go through these stats. Did you know that there are roughly about 300,000 items in the average American home today? Uh, the average size of American homes, so, so uh, square footage, has nearly tripled in size over the past 50 years. The United States has upwards of 50,000 storage facilities. That is more than five times the number of Starbucks. 3.1% uh, of the world's population lives in America, but they own 40% of the toys consumed globally. The average American throws away 65 pounds of clothing per year. Currently, 12% of the world's population that lives in North America and Western Europe account for 60% of private consumption spending, while the one-third living in South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa accounts for only 3.2%. Americans spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods and otherwise, other, uh, in other words, items that they do not need, and I would add, eventually end up in a box. And Jesus goes on in verse 24 to say this profound truth. No one can serve two masters for you. He will either hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now notice how definitive he is there. He doesn't say the odds are likely you won't serve, you know, one or the other. No, he says you, it's, it's an impossibility. You cannot serve both God and money. Now it's important to understand what Jesus is and isn't saying here. What Jesus is driving at is perspective. The lens by which we view life, the lens by which we view everything. And he's not saying that it's bad to have money. There are actually two extreme thoughts that uh, two extreme, uh, could I say theologies around this? is that uh, one would be what we might call prosperity theology. And this is the one that I think probably the vast majority of us, at least those of us listening to this, would be leery of. This is like the health and wealth, name it and claim it. God wants you, you know, your bank account full and driving a Bentley. You know, it's just this, this over here. And then, but then here's the other side will be what we would call like poverty theology. 
This is the idea that money is bad, you shouldn't have any of it. And I've actually met people before, they're like, I just hate money. And I'm kind of like, well, you know, good luck with that. You know, because, you know, you're gonna have, like a necessity of life is you gotta get a job, you gotta earn a paycheck in order to meet essential needs and, and, and to be a blessing and to be generous towards other people. So the answer isn't prosperity theology and it's not poverty theology. It's, um, it's recognizing that money is a great servant, a horrible master. And so when Jesus says, like, you cannot serve both God and money, this is the question of, like, where, where does my sense of, like, identity and um, safety sort of come from? Uh, the late Tim Keller put it so well. He, he would say this, that money is not your idol. Money reveals where your idols are. That's such a profound truth. So in, like, oftentimes we, we kind of let ourselves off the hook when it comes to idolatry or idols. We read that and we think, well, that was for Bible times. You know, they melted down gold and precious metals and they worshiped them. And we don't do that anymore. So we don't have an idolatry problem. <laughs> yeah, we do, you know, and, uh, and, and our, here, here's what an idol is. Our idol is probably not like a little gold object. Our idol is anything we find our identity in or our sense of security in. And that could be any number of things. And uh, practically, friends, this is what's called worship. Whatever you find your identity in, whatever you find your sense of security in, that is an idol. And actually, our hearts are idol factories. Romans chapter 1 says the big problem with the world is that we worship creation over creator God. What is that? We're finding our identity and our security in created things over creator God. That's an idol. And money more maybe than anything else. And this is the reason why Jesus talked about money more than any other subject in the scriptures. I said money, not giving. He talked about money more than any other subject because he knows that our money reveals where our idols are. Now, I just wanna get real transparent with you. I, I never wanna have this disposition that because I'm standing up here on this platform that I've figured it all out. And so, you know, just do as I do. Uh, I would hope that you would know my heart well enough to know by now that I'm a fellow struggler and that I'm just, a, I'm just one hungry person trying to tell other hungry people where to find food. And, uh, and honestly, like whenever, here, here's what happens is um, when it comes to certain sermon series, uh, God has a tendency to take me to the mat on it <laughs> as I'm preaching it. So I'll just be, I shared this at the Northwest Vision Night. I don't think I shared this with uh, any other campus, but I'll, I'll tell all of you today. Here, here's how it shows up in my life. And you can make the application for you. When I was a kid, fifth grade, 11 years old, uh, my dad's business kind of got upside down. He kind of was underwater and uh, we ended up uh, losing everything. Like we lost our house, we lost our cars, we lost everything, like zero, like had to reset. And I remember that time very, very specifically as a 11 year old boy and watching my parents go through that. And I didn't say much, I didn't talk much. I was just reflecting, but I remember very vividly thinking to myself, I went outside in the backyard and I said, I will never let this ever happen again. And I will make sure that I have enough. I'll make sure that I provide for my family one day. And so what that led to is like an over control of circumstances. Honestly, I'm just gonna call it what it is. It's an idol. And I'm looking as I'm trying to control circumstances. Now, now the healthy part of me, like, okay, let me earn a you know, good living and provide for my family and save for the, nothing wrong with any of that. But when I start to like try to control this false sense of control, I know I'm drifting into unhealth. So. Uh, uh, I'd love to say, you know, that was a problem for me way back then. 
yesterday, okay? So, so you know, yesterday we come back from fall break and I'm, you know, in the, it's the middle of the afternoon, I go on the back deck and I'm kind of running the budget numbers and I'm trying to, you know, assess the damage from fall break and, you know, how am I gonna pay off Silver Dollar City? You know, and so I'm like looking at all that and, and our, open up our bank account app. Any of you with me in this? No, okay, you're just gonna leave a brother up here. All right, so, so, so I open up like the bank account app and there's like, and, you know, there's this imaginary number, the line of idolatry, where when the bank account balance is above that, whatever, it's random for me. If it's above that, I'm like, Whew, we're good. Falls below it, I'm like, oh no. You know, and my wife knows that uh, I'm always wrestling with this whenever I start saying things like this. Hey, I'm gonna have to start working a side hustle. I'm gonna, you know, get a job at Chick-fil-A. You know, it's like, I, I'm gonna have to, you know, to order to pay this thing off, right? And, and, I, and I'm starting to, to panic here. And so yesterday, that was happening for me yesterday. And right in the middle of it, I go, I picked up my iPad and I go, well, I better review my notes for tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay. You know, so I say all that to simply say this. If I ever say anything up here that steps on your toes, just know the Holy Spirit's already crushed my feet. And like, I'm in this with you. And I recognize how much it can become an idol. And man, I'm telling you, guys, it can become so sinister. Idolatry is such a slippery thing. And it oftentimes pop up, pops up for me, uh, even in places I least expect it. Like when I go to lunch with a friend and, and then that time of the lunch comes where the waitress comes over and asks the question. You know the question? One check or two. And I like conveniently take a drink right in the moment. Yeah, because I don't want to speak too quick, you know? It's like, I because either way, you know, if you say two, you're going to look stingy. If you say one, oh, you weren't planning? Oh, you know, and it's like, and so it, it just, and it just pops up and I continue to rest. It's like a weed. I got to continue to weed my heart. And I wish Jesus were done here, but he's not. Look at verse 25. <laughs> he's clearly reading my email. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or reap nor gather into barns. In other words, they don't have a 401k. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Then he asks this question. And I think there's a little bit of hurt behind it. Like, are you of not more value than they? Like, don't you understand how valuable you are to me? And which of you, by being anxious anyway, can add a single hour span to his life? In other words, what he's saying here is like, man, you can be worried and anxious about all these things. Is it gonna change anything? You know, are you gonna add any more to your life? Like, don't you know that I'm in control, that I'm sovereign, that I've given you these promises and I'm actually waiting for you to redirect your worship onto me. Now he's not telling us, he's, not, he's certainly not saying, like if you're like, you know, got some anxiety or got a little bit of worry, he's not just saying, hey, stop that. No, what he is saying is he's drawing a distinction between having an anxious feeling and being anxious. Having a worry that pops up and being worried. Well, what's the difference? One is a very natural emotion. It just means you're human. The other is a decision. The other is a decision to stay worried. The other and when you stay worried, here's what you're doing. You're just trying to control everything. And that is an act of worship. 
and we're focused on the exact opposite of what it is that Jesus has asked us to be focused on. So even like right now, if I could just ask you right now, everybody across all of our locations, close your eyes. Unless you're listening to this later in the week and you're on a treadmill or driving, don't do that. But like right now, like if you're sitting and safe, you know, close your eyes. And I just want you to, I just want you to do this little simple little thing. Uh, what are you worried about the most right now? And I just want you to visualize that. Now here's my guess is the challenge is that for you, the real difficulty of that is narrowing it down to one thing. Because maybe you get one thing and then you're like, well, there's three or five or 20 other things. And you can open your eyes if you haven't already. Um, here, here's the deal. Some of those worries that you just thought of, they're relatively minor, maybe even silly kind of worries. Uh, others of you, maybe you have much more significant worries that you're not quite sure what to do with. So maybe you're worried about a cancer diagnosis and the following treatment. How's all this gonna go? Maybe right now you're worried about your kids. If they're little, you're like, what kind of a world are they gonna grow up to? If they're older and they've already moved out, you're, you're like, man, they're making decisions right now that it just breaks my heart and I can't really do anything about it and I feel all this shame and guilt as a parent because what could I have done different? Worried about that. Right now you're worried maybe because of some potential layoffs or some cutbacks at work due to the current nature of the economy and you know, you're not quite sure what this does uh, to your savings or does to your retirement. Maybe you're worried right now because you and your spouse are just not on the same page spiritually. It's part of the reason maybe why you're here today and they're not. And it's breaking your heart and you're looking at all this going, man, I'm, I'm so compelled by, by being awakened and I wish my spouse could share this with me. And how are we going to get on the same page and make a significant faith commitment if we just don't see eye to eye on all this and I'm worried about it? And maybe like right now, each of those things that you're kind of thinking of, listen, those are legitimate and those are significant. And I think if Jesus were eyeball to eyeball in front of you, his eyes would, would tear up with you and he would comfort you and say, man, I totally get all that. And then he would say, would you just please hand it to me? Would you just please let go of that? Would you please stop trying to carry that around? By worrying about that, you're not gonna change anything. So, so what is the answer? Well, I think Jesus gives us the answer in verse 33. Look at it with me. He, he says this profound truth that oftentimes we don't really know what to do with it. He says this, but seek first. There's that word again. This is a matter of priority. Seek first the kingdom of God, the line, and his righteousness. And then here's a promise. It's actually written as a promise. Then all these things will be added to you. In other words, you won't miss a thing. In fact, you get an opportunity for God to, to bless you and to provide for you. So, so I think we can read that and go, okay, well, what does it mean to seek God's kingdom first? And what does it mean that he'll add all things to me? Well, here's kind of a visual that I think has helped me and maybe it'll help some of you. Um, we've got two jars up here. The goal would be to actually get the contents of both jars into one. And so actually the sand here would represent uh, all these things in the passage. So this is um, everything you're worried about. This is um, your bank account balance, your mortgage, kids' college, retirement, all the stuff that you're kind of tempted to control. Th this uh, canister, these big rocks represent seeking first the kingdom of God, living for the line over the dot. Now here's the challenge. If you gotta get all these into one canister, here's how many of us choose to operate. You know that this has sort of become an idol when you're trying to control things. You're like, well, God, let me make sure that all these things are taken care of first and then I'll gladly live for your kingdom, God. Like I'll gladly, you know, to pay attention, invest in the big rocks. But here's the problem is that they, they like don't, clearly they don't fit. 
Like we've, we, we just, there's just not enough room. But so here's what Jesus has promised. He said, if you would just prioritize me first, if you just seek my kingdom first, put the big rocks in first and you live by faith, then I'll add all these things unto you. And we see that it fits all into one category. So this is how the math maths in the kingdom of God. It doesn't feel, it feels counterintuitive, but God is saying, I want you to trust me in this. So last week, if you were here, we talked about two brothers in Genesis, Cain and Abel. And this is what Abel's bucket looked like. This is what Cain's bucket looked like. But Abel said, I'm gonna put first the kingdom of God. And then God was pleased with that. He added all these things. Cain said, God, I'm happy to give you something. I'm just gonna give you some of what is left over. And so we said that the principle of the first all through the scripture is when you could put God first, you're actually declaring, this is what theologians call the preeminence of God, meaning that he was and is and is to come. And so basically when you're giving God first and your best, you're just sort of aligning your life with the truth of that reality of God's nature. And just because he isn't first in your life doesn't mean he isn't first in the universe. He is preeminent. And so God is just saying, actually saying, I just want you, here's what happens. When you do that, you're just inviting him into everything else so that he can do what only he can. I love how Paul uh, puts it uh, to the Colossian church when he's talking about the preeminence of God. He says this, he referring to Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, uh, we cannot physically see God, but we could see him in the person of Jesus. And Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. So when you're seeking first the kingdom of God, you are trusting in a God who is before all things. It is through him and for him and by him, he holds all things together. And so, so here's, here's the gut check level question. Um, does Jesus, is Jesus the one that fills in that blank or is it something else? Because for many of us, what can happen is everything is by our mortgage, to our mortgage, through our mortgage, for our mortgage. Or everything is by our kids, to our kids, for our kids, through our kids. Everything is by our financial security and retirement, through that and by that and for that. And all he's saying is, would you just, whatever's in that blank, would you just take it out? Would you just put the person of Jesus and guys, I, I wanna tell you that right now, we are in a season in the life of our church that is unlike anything that I've personally ever experienced in life and personally ever experienced here, where I'm just watching God beginning to wake us up and to recognize that we could actually, we can change some things. We can move the needle if we're fully awakened. So guys, like now is the time for us to live in such a way that the rest of the world can see our king and his kingdom coming. That right now is the time for us to speak a blessing over and to call out and to equip the next generation. Now is the time uh, for us to come alongside of vulnerable children and families in need and foster and adoption families and make a difference. Now is the time to bless our city. Now is the time for the church to leave the building and to infiltrate all through the city representing the kingdom of God. Now is the time for us to make a difference. Now is the time for us not to kind of sit back and go, well, you know, I guess we did it. 
You know, you know we, we served, we gave, we, we, you know, we, we, we were the recipients of somebody else's generosity in a previous generation. No, now is actually the time for us to say, what will the church of tomorrow look like? What, what, what kind of a difference can we make for all of eternity? I uh, have up here um, this uh, runner's baton. And uh, when I arrived here um, 16 years ago, actually 16 years ago this month, I had a private meeting with my predecessor, um, a guy by the name of Howard Bramer, who served here for 24 years as lead pastor and uh, a group of elders. And they handed me this baton in a private meeting. And they said, uh, Aaron, uh, we're just handing this to you. This is your leg of the race, run well. And I've, it meant a lot to me, it still does. And. Um, And I've actually got it, it's in my, this is in my office. And every time I look at it, I realize I'm not worthy to carry that thing. And the second thing that I think is, is, is simply this, this thing is awfully heavy. Now I know it doesn't look like it because you know, I'm so strong. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't pass that up, I couldn't pass that up. That was not in my notes, but just came into my mind. Had to seize the moment. All right, hey, here's the other thing. This thing is really heavy. And, and the reason why is because um, uh, I'm talking about not the physical weight of this thing, but what it represents. It's a huge responsibility to serve this church. It's one that I recognize every, every week. Like I, I'm not worthy of it. I don't deserve it. I don't wanna mess this up. So can I just uh, share this with you? Can I like just figuratively like say, hey, would you help me run this leg of the race? Would you help me carry this baton? Let's run this leg of the race well. Let's be awakened to what it is that God wants to do in us and through us. I refuse to freak out in fear. I refuse to just succumb to anger. I actually wanna be a joyful, kingdom-minded man of God. And I want to invite you into that as well. And you know what? I, I know this is what your heart wants. Back at Easter, we do that Easter survey. One of the questions is what content would really help you in your spiritual growth? I use the answer to those questions to put together sermon series for the year. You wanna know what uh, one of the top three responses from you all was? We wanna hear a sermon series on discovering God's purpose, plan, and will for our lives. Guys, this is it. This is it. And some of you are like, oh, I'm not called to full-time ministry. No, 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 I didn't say that. Regardless of what you do for a living, regardless of your age, whether you're a boomer or an Xer or a millennial or a Gen Z, doesn't matter. Regardless if you're male or female, regardless of your giftedness, regardless of any of that, regardless if you feel like you're worthy or not, part of understanding God's purpose and plan for your life, here's step one, to walk by faith and to begin to live for the kingdom of God, not just this world. And then God begins to answer the question specifically around you. So I think most of the time when people ask the question of what is God's will and purpose for my life, they want God to send them a detailed voice message telling them specifically who to marry, what job to take, what state to move to, all those specifics. God wants you to live by faith first. And then he begins to answer those questions specifically, but you gotta step out in faith first. And you gotta recognize I am here not to live just for the dot, but for the line. So let's wake up together and do that together. Father, we come to you today. We're so grateful that you have offered us hope in the midst of a hopeless world. God, forgive us, forgive me when I get too consumed 
with present circumstances or the problems of this world or my own insecurities and idols of the heart. God, forgive me when I try to control things that I cannot control, nor should ever control. But I wanna acknowledge your sovereignty over my life. I wanna seek first your kingdom, trusting that I'll never miss out on anything because you've promised to add all these other things unto them. God, would you give us the right perspective and the right set of lenses to live for you in this hurting world? And we ask this in Jesus' name and the awakened church says, amen, amen.